Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charbuk Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right. Today's podcast is titled Russia versus Ukraine: A Historical Perspective. And to talk with us about the subject, we have Abhijit Ayer Mitra. Abhijit, welcome. Thank you. Slava Rasi, Slava Ukraini, Ukraini Rasi Bratya. Great. So before we start today's chat, I just wanted to explain to everyone who's going to be listening. This one we'll keep audio, although uh, Abhijit is going to be sharing maps, but I'll still keep this one for the audio version too, because I think we can manage. Uh, people can still manage in the audio version. But just to give a background, so there were a lot of uh, discussions that were done in uh, you know on this Ukraine and Russia subject. So. I did my homework. I went across the content landscape in India, on at least on the YouTube content landscape. And what I found was that uh, whenever I try to create a podcast, the first thing I try to do is what do I want to learn. And what I found was that nobody really <coughs> understands the historical perspective when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. And then I reached out to Abhijit. I was like, Abhijit, does it make sense to do? And he said, absolutely. So I'm not going to tell Abhijit how he's going to speak. Uh, it is purely up to him. So Abhijit. Now that I've explained why we are doing this, over to you. Thank you. So I'm going to go back about 1,200 years in history, till about 800 AD, the earliest we know. Now, Slavs have been around for a very long time. You know, uh, the uh, Veneti that the early Roman Republic fought, which is roughly around the day of modern Slovenia and Venice, uh, were Slavs. Mm, apparently, they were Slavs. Uh, so that Slav area has always been a very, very big area. But, you know, the Slavs broke up into several identities and I'm going to focus on Russia proper. Now, the word Russia itself uh, is Viking. Okay, it, it was essentially a Viking state where the ruling family were Viking. And the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, population were Slavs. And slowly, the uh, uh, you know the population essentially became uh, uh, the rulers became more and more and more Slavic. So, if you can turn on the sh screen sharing, uh, Kushal, I'm going to start with. Yeah, you put you put up the map. I'll bring it on the screen. Okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you see this? Yes. Loud and clear. Okay. Absolutely. It's very clear. Now, this is from the 1200s, uh, you know, 1220 to 1240, just before, uh, well, almost during the Mongol invasion. Uh, so what you see out here is I want to point out something. This is where in the 800s, imagine for a minute, this is the 800s, right? This is where the uh, uh, Viking high culture was, right? And... If you notice here the navigability, can you see this river running here into lakes and things like that down through here into another lake, lake yeah. river going all the way here. And then this was initially connected and rivers running. This is the Dnieper down here, all the way down here. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is always it was when these people, the Swedes, that is to say the Vikings wanted to attack Byzantium, which they did very commonly. They had an almost direct navigable route to attack through here. 
they didn't have to get off their boats except for short distances and haul their boats overland but it was a direct attack route okay okay and that is why the civilization here uh, as a recorded civilization as we know it starts here in kiev because if you look here the uh, river here the dnieper is so broad at areas you can't even see the other side of the bank right and so kiev was perfectly because uh, in those days the autumn uh, the sorry the uh, uh, the uh, uh, byzantine empire was extremely powerful they could send uh, bulgaria and parts of southern hungary were under uh, 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 well this is technically southern romania were under byzantine control and they could very easily send forces up to here to uh, crush or deal with you which is why they did it further up north in kiev which was out of uh, the ability of the byzantines to attack but still extremely navigable down the dnieper all the way into the black sea after which it was a direct attack on constantinople out here okay so this was the main thing that was happening at this point of time now the second thing you need to remember is there were also significant population movements through this territory uh, just prior to this uh, in the 600s for example there's a bulgarian movie called the glory of khan it's 671 ad the glory of khan or something and that's about the khan asparuk now there are two bunches of mongols in europe who claim to be european one are the bulgars and the other are the hungarians the hungarian word for themselves is magyar which is basically mongol and the bulgars who are well again some kind of a turco mongol uh, people now this see the volga bulgars this is the original bulgaria okay can you see this here this is the original yeah. well te- technically the original bulgaria was somewhere here and then the they all shifted hold, right? correct and again there was population pressure during the 600s from the uh, uh, the gokturk khaganate i think it was the gokturks uh, the the first known turkic state and they migrated on mass down here and set up the first empire the first bulgar empire right uh, so you look at names like asparuk it's a mixture of persian and sanskrit almost strangely ashwaruk uh, uh things like that so it's 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 quite uh, uh uh strange how these things tend to uh, uh come about ultimately uh, and mind you this is also the origin of where all the migrations happen into europe the so called caucasian people from there and down here as well so this is a very important thing but notice when you're talking about the original russian state this is by the 1200s where you know the sort of russian identity was beginning to emerge look how look at the population density here right if you look at this violet line here this is the kind of the border of modern day ukraine not kind of it is the border of modern day ukraine theek hai to iska kya hai look at the sheer population density out here and look at how little the city density is out here now in this the most important is moscow moscow is somewhere here okay mm-hmm. at this point here and moscow will become the great power later on it is populated by the novgorod uh, novgorod uh, the ruler of novgorod is son daniel uh, so mm-hmm. that's why they call the danieloviches again a descendant of eric the red uh, 
Eric Roos, the red, he, he was red beer. Like, you know, the same, the Eric the Red who went and, uh, not not same, but similar, uh, the, the red-haired Viking uh, dynasty called the Rurikids, hence. Uh, they sent their prince to rule over Moscow, and then Moscow becomes the primary power in the Grand Principality of Vladimir Suzdal, and then they annex the Novgorod Republic because he claims his patrimony, and then they start moving down south. Now, when the Mongol invasion, and the Mongol invasion is really when the split between Ukraine and Russia happens. Now, you see here are the Turkic tribes. These are the Volga Bulgars who already migrated in the 600s. But here is the Golden Horde. The Golden Horde is one of the rump elements of the uh, uh, Mongol invasion. Okay, uh, uh, The Mongols had gone all the way up to Poland here. Then they withdrew up to here. Sarai was their capital. And when the Mongol Empire breaks up about 40, 50 years after the death of Genghis Khan, the Golden Horde is one of those uh, broken up. It's still very large, very powerful. They continue to control this area for about 200 years after. Extremely brutal taxation. Now, the problem with the taxation that happens, this is extremely important for us to remember. Who do you think they tax more? These areas that are barely populated or these areas that are the most populated? Well, Kushan? the most populated logically should be taxed. Exactly. That's what they do. So what happens is this entire area is effectively turned. It is de-industrialized because of the sheer uh, 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 burden of taxation. Okay. It is de-industrialized and the power balance shifts up north. Now, the Golden Horde's control of the southern territories was much more direct and much more brutal than the northern territories. Now, okay. like what happens in languages, you know, like uh, how Bangladeshi is very different from Bengali spoken in West Bengal. Mm -hmm. What happens is during this period, the linguistic divergences start emerging. Direct rule areas or well, semi-direct rule areas become uh, Ukraine. Okay. okay. And the very word Ukraine is outside territory. Krai is area or region. U is outside. So uh, outside territory. So Ukraina. This area becomes completely de uh, uh, de uh, uh, well, de well depopulated in a sense, I guess, kind of. Not entirely, but kind of. Uh, it's a very complex process that I'm not going to get in the details for maybe in the Q&A. Uh, and this, because these chaps, they're very smart. Now, if you uh, look at Novgorod, for example, the king, uh, the prince of Novgorod, uh, Alexander Nevsky, he is uh, a great champion of the Golden Horde. He's the tax mm -hmm. collector of the Golden Horde. So the Golden Horde effectively gives him control. He is there, not really the governor, but effectively the governor to co collect all the taxes here and send it off here. And obviously, him being from the north, he also is much more extractive in the south. Okay, so uh, uh, Alexander Nevsky, of course, you know from the great uh, uh, movie that uh, Uska Kya Picture Tha, uh, uh, Eisenstein's movie, uh, uh, the and the battle on ice sequence and things like that. That is uh, fought against these people here. The Teutonic Order in this becomes Prussia. So uh, here, now this splits now. Here you have Russia. Here you end up having Belarus. And here 
the most brutally ruled part of the empire becomes Ukraine. Those linguistic differences, they start off as dialects, they end up becoming completely separate languages. So this is the history you need to remember up to here. Now, this is all steppy, okay? Wild, wild, wild steppy. And this is also where the fighting, when the uh, Christians out here are slowly recovering their land from the Golden Horde. By this time, remember, the Golden Horde had become Islamic very, very quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. And they are now uh, fighting each other. Slowly, slowly, slowly they come. But because this is the area best suited for horse warfare, uh, you will find that this becomes kind of like the frontier territory in the fight against both the Golden Horde and the Crimean Khanate. Because the Crimean Good. Khanate has split off from the uh, uh, Golden Horde by this time. Abhijit, I just have one question here. So you hmm. say that area was largely populated uh, more or or the other area was partially populated. So, uh, so the reason being, was it resource rich or any of those reasons? It was agriculture rich. Remember, all pre-industrial uh, uh, pre societies were agrarian. So you can tell how generally population in a pre-industrial period is synonymous with agricultural richness. Here, okay. it would start getting too cold. Here, it would still be warm. So, you know, Ukraine was the breadbasket of the USSR. Got it. And notice something here. This is all Western Ukraine. Hmm. Okay, so imagine the population density of wet. This is the Dnieper. Think of the Dnieper here. This is Eastern Ukraine. This is Western Ukraine. So look how rich this area is. And of course, parts of Eastern Ukraine as well. But this is generally how it's split. Now, the Ukrainian identity is also explained by the fact that, see, this was the Crimean Khanate. It, it controlled this area for a much longer period of time before the Russians managed to get to it. So this was always sort of like the battle area in that sense, you know, the borderlands, the most violent part. Mm. Now, when Russia finally decides to become an empire, this is 1751. So don't go by this uh, uh, <coughs> uh, uh, chronologically. I'm just demonstrating a certain flow of thoughts that's happening out here. There's a reason that this area is not just deindustrialized, but becomes a war fighting uh, 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 hellhole in that sense uh, and the first Ukrainian state starts emerging here okay it's called the Zaporozhian Sheik okay it's also called the Cossack Hetmanate now the Cossacks were essentially think of them as Mongolized Russians okay that they use these cavalry hit and run tactics they're extremely cruel extremely brutal as nomadic steppy warfare is and things like that so basically this area here or this area here is the zaporozhian sheikh hmm. now what happens is this is actually the actual area that would have been that swore allegiance to the russian czar in 1654 Right. And mostly, why did they swear allegiance to the Russian Tsar in 1654? Because you had all of this happening out here. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was, they had actually come to Moscow and conquered Moscow. It was the time of troubles when the Rurikids get, uh, uh, the empire ends because Ivan the Terrible kills his own son. And then there's the time of troubles where Boris Gudunov, who's the first non-Rurikid Tsar, takes over. Mind you, even at that time, the Russian Empire was thoroughly 
uh, heterogeneous and uh, 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 mongolized in a sense. Ivan the Terrible's own grandmother was Greek. His mother was partially Mongol. Okay, the mm. Russian Tsar's titles included, you know, all kinds of Mongol titles and things like that, like Khan of Astrakhan and things like that. This is Astrakhan, so it, it used to include titles like that. Whereas Ukraine, remember, always were remained quite ethnically uh, untouched. They went as cosmopolitan as comes from area, mm -hmm. right? So uh, now. Let's get back to how this expands. Now, as the Russians start eating into Poland, because now the tables have turned. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth used to be on the ascendant. Russia used to be, was conquered for a while by the Poles. Now the tables have turned. And it's the Russians who are in control. So this is a map of modern-day Ukraine. And the Russians add this entire part into Ukraine. Remember, this part is actually heavily Polish. We'll see this later on. Okay. Uh, and this part is later added by Stalin. This is gifted off by Lenin. I'll deal with why later. And this finally by Khrushchev. Now, it's very important to remember, even though the Russian czars were uh, Russian imperialists and Russian nationalists, since Catherine the Great, czars didn't have a drop of Russian blood in them. Mm. Okay. Catherine the Great was pure German. It mm -hmm. is joked that her sons are uh, uh, Peter. Was it Peter? Yeah, I think it was Peter. Uh, was uh, not actually the father, uh, the son of his father. He was actually uh, born to a German or a ethnic minority officer in uh, Catherine's uh, uh, entourage. And since then, every czar married a German or a Danish or European princess. So, by the time of Nicholas and Alexandra. The Tsars were probably just 1% Russian at this point. Uh, they had a huge mixture. Up to the Rurik dynasty, they had a huge admixture of Mongol blood. And remember the Romanov, the first Mikhail Romanov, is one of the cadet branch of the Rurikids. So what ends up happening is that you also have Mongol blood, well, even less than Russian blood, but yes, you do have Mongol blood in the Tsars as well. But this multi-ethnicity of uh, uh, Ukraine... Uh, of Russia, of the Russian Empire, of this, of the Russian mm -hmm. Empire, is most pronounced by the fact of what happens when it falls and it's replaced by communists. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you take the first chap, this guy here, Lenin. Lenin isn't a Russian, he's a Chuvash, which is a uh, Inuit kind of a tribe. It's a Turko, uh, some people say it's Turkic, some people say it's kind of... Eskimo, Mongol, nobody really knows. It's classified as something these days, but there used to be a lot of confusion about it. Lenin is an ethnic minority. Okay. Stalin is pure Georgian. Okay. Mm -hmm. Khrushchev is pure uh, uh, Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this area is 90% Russian. So Khrushchev gives it off in 1954. It is purely Russian and he is a Ukrainian. Okay, after Khrushchev comes Brezhnev. And Brezhnev is the first Russian ruler of Russia in almost 300 years. Well, 200 years, mm. thereabouts. Okay, so it's the first time, Brezhnev is the first time Russia has come back under Russian control. Now, <coughs> what Russia does is 
they start russifying territories in a sense, but they're not doing too much of it because they have an extremely heter- heterodox empire. If you bring up Russia, they're mostly interested in expanding to the east, 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 east here. So they're not really focusing too much on the West till the 1700s, where Tsar Peter starts identifying as a Westerner and he starts moving towards the West very deliberately, which is why these territories are added. But but if, if that but that region, as you mentioned, they had more tax collection or burdens of taxations, why would it not make sense for them to go there? I'm just trying to think out loud. Mm. Because remember the amount of destruction that the Mongols had wreaked. I don't think people understand how efficient the Mongols actually were. You know, when they invaded Persia in uh, 1250 or 1230, no, 1220, 1226, I think they invaded Persia. Uh, mm-hmm. The population of Persia took 700 years to recover to pre-1226 levels. Okay. For 700 years, it was only in the 1900s that Persia or Iran, as we know it, got back to the population level it enjoyed in prior to 1226. So the the Mongol invasions were brutal. They They were beyond brutal. Okay. So remember, this was also heavily, and this is why the deindustrialization, which is why this turns from an area of great culture into a wasteland. Okay. Not a wasteland, but a very violent land, which you really can't practice too much agriculture properly. Slowly, that starts changing. Once the Russians build it up, once this has been annexed by the late 1600s and early 1700s, it again, it starts re-agriculturalizing and becomes an agricultural heartland. Now, but the Russians are at this point of time more interested in gold, minerals and furs and things like that because that is what their trade here is based on. Remember, in those days, you can't export agricultural products to England and other places. Whereas fur and gems are the main Russian exports and for that they need to move east here, not south here. Because Undenome, remember, there was no such thing as cold storage. Okay. Right, so agriculture never really becomes a produce. And they found other ways. So fur trapping up here, here, and gold and, you know, diamonds and things like that here become their main, uh, well, not diamonds at that point. Diamonds are, if you had a map of Russia, would start somewhere around here, which the Russian Empire doesn't grow to till about 1800s or, uh, yeah, till the 1800s pretty much. Mm-hmm. So this becomes a very uh, complex kind of a multi-ethnic empire. Now, I want you to understand this in the Indian context. This shift from the south to the north is a bit like what you see happening in India during the uh, during Muslim rule. Okay, the locus of Indian culture. Okay, how all our great empires come, the Mauryas, the Guptas, uh, you know, the Mahajanapadas, they're all in northern India. Uh, but the first talk of them comes when in the 600-700s when Pulakeshi defeats Harsha and Pulakeshi in turn is defeated by the by Narsimha Pallava. Right? Mm-hmm. Or was it Mahindra Pallava? I forget. This is the first real... Mahindra Pallava? Yeah, maybe. Uh, that, that's the first that's the first real visibility that the south starts getting in the north. And when the Turkic invasions happen the locus of Indian, of Hindu culture shifts to the south. 
right? Which is where most of the temples are, whereas in the north, you will hardly find any temples from this period. So in many ways, the Mongol rule of this area saw to it that the same process that happens from north to south in India happens from south to north in Russia. So much real. Does that make sense? Or was I going too fast? Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm getting it. I'm getting okay. it. Okay. Now, let's fast forward now to the 18th century. 1800, well, 19th century. 1800s, mein kya hota hai? you have the beginnings of nationalism in March. And slowly, there is a Ukrainian identity that is beginning to emerge. Of a kind. Yeah, this is what much. I was interested in. Right. So this is where the uh, Ukrainian identity starts coming about. And it's a very complex phenomenon. Because, you know, Ukrainian in the Russian mind is a peasant. Because mm. the cities are all Russian dominated. All the industry, the commerce and all is Russian or Russified. You see, they're very tolerant with ethnicities. But they insisted that Tum sab, jase, you know, sab Hindi mein baat karo. almost like a Hindi imposition. There was a kind of a Russian imposition. Right. So everybody had to speak Russian. Now, I want to show you some. I'm going to fast forward here to something to show you the map. Now, this is kind of like the almost uh, this isn't. But uh, OK, this is the ethnic breakup of Ukraine. These areas okay. would be Russian. And these areas would be the Ukrainian speaking population. Okay. Now I want you to connect this. Now notice these two areas very specifically. Remember, mm -hmm. this used to be underpopulated. This used to be overpopulated. If we come back here to the 1200s, mm -hmm. you see this division. Remember yeah, what I said? West of the Dnieper and east of the Dnieper. See overpopulation here, underpopulation here. Yeah. Okay. So what happened? So basically, here it is, was the Ukrainian-dominated areas that were taxed a lot. Well, in those days, there was no Ukrainian; they were all Russians. Yeah, yeah. So, so don't go back to that ethnically. I'm just talking mm. demographically. So don't go to okay. this ethnically right now. Okay. Ab mm. isme dekho. When you look at the Russian population here, the district-wise. Now, see, as per this map, this entire area is Russian. Mm. Okay. But when you look at the district level map, look what the Russian population actually is. It's so little. It's not. That's the important thing. Remember, this is like the urban rural division in India. All oh, so the industries like, and so those big red dots might be like the Mumbai. Exactly. The population in these red dots is so massive. And because these are part of different governorates, right? Mm. They end up voting. These are the governorates. They disproportionately influence the votes like this. You understand? So you see what's happened here. The agricultural remains agricultural. Like Italy so, used to, just southern to, Italy. Just to get it right. Just one, one, one second. second, one second, one second. I, I before, before, before uh, cushion, cushion, one second. Important point. Mm. Remember, like southern Italy used to be the rich Italy because it was rich in agriculture. Northern okay. Italy used to be the poor Italy because it was... It did not have agriculture. It had a cold season where frost would set in and kill off things. But, but it was northern Italy that developed ultimately that it industrialized. It didn't agriculturalize, it industrialized. This is the same thing we saw happen under the Soviet Union. This part remained rural and agrarian, but under both under the Tsars and under uh, especially under Stalin, 
this was the area that actually became industrial. It's what uh, is called, uh, you know, what Ian Morris calls the uh, 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 the benefits of uh, 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 leapfrogging. You remember he talks about leapfrogging, how when you're slightly backwards, you can go forwards mm-hmm. much quicker. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. So you compare that with this. This is what's happening here. These are extremely mm-hmm. rich industrial areas. Mm. These... Think of this as Mumbai, Tamil Nadu. Think of this as Maharashtra and Tamil Nadu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Think of this as UP Bihar. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's how this works. So, so, uh, so my question was this. So would we be fair to conclude that the Russian speaking people were more in urban centers kind of a scenario where they, they are more urban and the others are more rural and in the non-city center spots would that be a scenario uh yes and no generally you're right but remember we have still not defined what a russian is ethnically i very cleverly okay. avoided defining a russian ethnically which is why i was russian confused at this point, that's why i wanted to ask this right. question so so remember at this point that we're still talking about which is the 1700s 1800s russian is a state of mind you can be a Mongol, you can be a Turk, you can be a uh, Ukrainian, you can be a Pole, you can be a, a German. But as long as you speak Russian and you accept Russian orthodoxy, you are treated as a Russian. Mm. Okay. So, for example, I have a very dear friend called Soline von Kaufmann Turkestansky. Her granddad, her great great granddad, was uh, Alexander von Kaufmann. He was an Austrian Jew who migrated to the court of the Tsars. Uh, and he, uh, uh, you know, tried to connote pseudo-nobility his name. He converted from Judaism to Russian Orthodoxy. He was immediately mm-hmm. promoted in the ranks. He conquered Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan for the Tsar. And so, you know, in the naming system, he became General von Kaufmann und zu Turkestan, what would have been in German. He became Turkestanski, ruler of Turkestan. So it mm-hmm. wasn't an ethnic definition. Russian was a cultural definition, a religious cultural definition. You follow the Eastern Orthodox Church and you speak Russian. That is why More I brought like up the point the Hindu about identification? the identification. Exactly. Exactly. You can be uh, uh, of uh, ethnic uh, Khmer Mon stock as they are in the Northeast. You can be of Dravidian stock, whatever you want to call it, or Indo-European stock or Jat stock or Persian stock or whatever. But as long as you accept the Vedic gods and accept the Vedas and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the gods here, you are Indian or you are Hindu. So this is the same thing. So, for example, I think you were telling me that, you know, when we absorbed, no, uh, when we started absorbing all these little shamanistic religions within India, the shamans were automatically made Brahmins. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was a very cultural process. It wasn't a racial process. Remember, nationality and race as we know it is a very late 18th, early 19th century construct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, except in some cases. I mean, there are a few notable exceptions, but not much. To such an extent that, remember, Pushkin, the greatest of all Russian authors, was a black man. Okay, That's fascinating. His, uh, yeah, he was a black man. His uh, grandfather 
was the Abyssinian, the Ethiopian guard, a, a personal bodyguard of Peter the Great. Peter the Great adopted him as his own son. And Pushkin entered the ranks of Russian nobility. Mm. Okay, so uh, very, very important stuff. So Mongols, even black people were being integrated into Russian society at this point of time. Uh, now, what happens in all this process is, I want you to remember what is happening out here, because till the late Tsarist period and the early Stalinist period, this area is agricultural. This is literally steppy. There's nothing happening out here till the industrialization starts under Tsar uh, 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 Nicholas I and Alexander III and things like that. That's where the uh, industrialization, the slow industrialization starts. This is much easier because these people need jobs. So you start industrializing this area. These people, like southern Italy, are very happy doing their farming work. So they stay backwards and keep farming. Right. Now, I want you chaps to all read Bulgakov and places like that. By the way, you know, most of Bulgakov, even though Bulgakov was uh, born in Ukraine, uh, as was Nikolai Gogol. You read Nikolai Gogol. Watch that movie by uh, with uh, what's his name? Uh, Yul Berner. It's called Taras Bulba. It's about the Cossacks uh, in the 1600s. His view of the Cossacks is of extreme barbarians. Bulgakov, who is a late, uh, 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 an early communist and late czarist author, is extremely nasty about the nationalism of these people because he believes that culture is the preserve of cities. Kiev, Kharkiv, uh, Donetsk, Lugansk, and places like that, which are Odessa, which are overwhelmingly Russian. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of literature from people born in Ukraine, like Gogol, like Nikolai Gogol, like Bulgakov, who will tell you that this notion of the country bumpkin, the Bimaru states, this area is the Bimaru states. It is the Bihar, UP, Rajasthan of the Russian Empire. Mm. Okay, whereas this is the bloody Gurgaon of the Russian Empire. And this is the Mumbai of the Russian Empire. Okay, so understand what is happening here is the cultural differences are exacerbating. And that is when in the 1800s, when you start getting the nationalism, you see embryonic Ukrainian nationalism form in the 1840s and 1850s and things like that. You know, the great, the year of revolts, 1848 and things like that. You see the beginnings of it. In the First World War, when the uh, uh, the uh, Soviet Union at this point is fighting an internal civil war with uh, 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 the white forces. The, the Reds are fighting the whites. The whites are the Tsarist loyalists, right? Now, what happens is the the USSR needs to stop two people, mm. three people. The Germans invading from here, the white Tsarist forces fighting them here, Okay. Mm. And the least of the threats is Ukrainian nationalism, which is kind of emergent out here. It's still not very powerful. So what do the Soviets do? This for them is enemy number one because they claim to be Russian. 
they want to topple these people hmm. so they decide this is enemy number 1 this is enemy number 2 this is enemy number 3 okay they have prioritized their enemies 1 2 3 so what happens now is they start playing to ukrainian nationalism saying ha ha very good ukrainian nationalism we support ukrainian nationalism uh, we are going to embrace they come up with the same way for example communists here remember the uh, a lot of the uh, 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 plans uh, for khalistan was uh, you know connoted by well pushed by harkishan singh surjit all the minority uh, inflammation plans was harkishan singh surjit who was the communist they love the idea of victimhood because they can profit from the idea of victimhood so it's what a very good industry is, it's a very good industry so the communists here that is to say lenin trotsky and stalin and co stalin by the way is opposed to this plan he sees the dangers of it very early on but lenin and trotsky and this is one of the major reasons for the fallout between lenin and trotsky से हाँ हाँ तुम इधर के मुसलमान हो हमको चाहिए आजादी आजादी भाई आजादी लेके रहेंगे आजादी एंड सो वी आर ट्राइंग टू हेल्प यू आउट इन योर क्वेस्ट फॉर आजादी ओके देन दे साइन द ट्रीटी ऑफ ब्रेस्ट लिटॉफ विथ दी जर्मन्स एंड माइंड यू दिस इज जस्ट अ फ्यू मंथ्स बिफोर जर्मनी इज गोइंग टू बी डिफीटेड एवरीबडी न्यू जर्मनी वॉज गोइंग टू बी डिफीटेड सो नो बडी न्यू वाई द हेल्प दोवियट वेंट एंड साइन दैट पैक्ट विथ with germany but this helps you understand why they signed that pact with germany they said even if we lose all this land here and they lost all this land here by the way in fact they lost all this land they say this is great uh, uh it's not great but we need to focus on this enemy first so they signed the brest-litovsk pact give off most of this to the germans this becomes a this becomes the first ukrainian state and this ukrainian state lasts all of 6 to 8 months okay because by that period what's happened is germany has been defeated the russians have gone on the offensive the bolsheviks have gone on the offensive against the white forces and almost defeated them by 21 22 they become completely defeated mm-hmm. and then they stage a coup out here so what becomes the german protectorate of ukraine ultimately becomes the ukrainian people's republic within months literally within months so they've recouped mm-hmm. those gains within months except this area which has been ceded to poland these are the areas of volhynia and galicia so see these areas right up to here in fact these are ceded to poland including western belarus theek hai to ye sab poland ban jata hai okay mm. now now notice the wheels within wheels here are you following me till now have i been too confused yeah 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 i'm getting it i'm getting it you're getting it right so yeah. understand this is why it was done and now that lenin has managed to take control of this part again for these guys remember it's like wokes what is the essence of woke it is zero thought diversity but maximum cultural diversity cultural and sexual and gender diversity but zero intellectual diversity everybody Basically, has to people who look thing. different but think the same exactly and that is what the russian empire so understand wokery has its origin in what the soviets did do in ukraine and things like that so remember for the uh, 
सोवियट्स फॉर लेनिन टू गिव देम दिस ह्यूज एरिया विच इज एंटायरली इंडस्ट्रियल और इज इयर मार्क फॉर इंडस्ट्रियलाइजेशन बाई दिस टाइम मीन्स एब्सोल्यूटली नथिंग बिकॉज फॉर हिम इन इज माइंड यूक्रेन मीन्स नथिंग for mm. khrushchev to give off this area to uh, ukraine is a mere paper exercise in reality it means nothing because the ukrainian government at this point can't do squat if the ukrainian if if khrushchev tells the ukrainian fellow you have to shoot your wife otherwise i'm going to shoot you he will have to convene parliament sentence his own wife to death and have a shot in public okay mm. so stalin did not want to show lenin as being wrong but he completely opposed this reorganization just like many wise people in india opposed the linguistic reorganization of states stalin opposed very quietly but in private very strongly opposed this kind of pandering to ukrainian nationalism because he had remembered what this ukrainian nationalist state looked like and he was the one person that saw the dangers of what was going to come okay but he didn't want to undo what lenin had done but khrushchev comes about and khrushchev belonged to the leninist school so he adds to what lenin had done and seeds this part okay now this is what you need to know happens in the ussr i've covered all the major themes which is the uh the ethnic split the industrialization of the west the complete mm-hmm. agricultural country bumpkins the bimaru states of the uh, uh, of the east sorry industrialization of the east and the uh, 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 bimaru states of the west of western ukraine mm-hmm. and the why this area is sorry uh, ye kahan gaya this area because these are all rural they are like indians today in in villages you will not marry outside your own community Yeah. in cities heterogenization ha- happens so here endogamy here you have heterogamy you marry like you know here in cities in mumbai and delhi caste doesn't matter where you're from doesn't matter your gotra kind of matters but not really anymore right mm-hmm. so remember this is an extremely backward area and it continues to be backward under the soviets because under the soviets this is the area that wants to industrialize these chaps are fundamentally uninterested in industrialization but because they are rural they also suffer the most from stalin's uh, famines because they mm-hmm. are agricultural so that collectivization hits this area the hardest mm okay because they are agrarian and that that thing was kind of imposed the same way mao imposed it on his people for them to break their links with their past and their traditions and accept industrialization except remember it was deng xiaoping that industrialized china not mao zedong when stalin dies everybody loses interest in industrializing this area so it's only the this belt that industrializes all the industries are here okay mm-hmm. this west of the sorry east of the dnieper dnieper east of the dnieper industrial and russian why because it's urban west of the dnieper poor rural country bumpkins bimaru states overwhelmingly agricultural and rural and this is why bulgakov always considered the city to be culture and ukrainians mm-hmm. for him ukrainian nationalism was the nationalism of peasants it's the way we would view view jat agitation or jo gujarati agitation hua tha na Do you remember mm-hmm. the Gujarat agitation where they went around burning things? Yeah, Rajasthan me hua tha na. Wo to Haryana me bhi hua tha na. 
excuse me so uh, that gujjar and jat agitation they view it with that same derisiveness that is viewed by these people can you imagine that mm-hmm. at one point of time it will become gujaristan or jatistan if india breaks up mm. what would jatistan look like what would gujaristan yeah. look like that's what you have to imagine looking at this from the indian mindset okay mm. <coughs> now the first proper presidential election so this is you, you're up to date now on all the historical trends now i'm going to come to the history of what has happened in the last two weeks okay first you mm. need to understand the political history now notice all the russian areas here they all mm-hmm. vote for leonid kuchma and the ukrainian nationalist leonid kravchuk gets all these areas now you remember what i was saying urban huge population uh, uh industrial mm-hmm. rural extremely regressive nativist whatever mm. and mind you these areas are overwhelmingly catholic this is where lviv is this is overwhelmingly catholic this is all orthodox this is catholic because this used to be under poland at one point of time in uh, from 19 from the breakup of the uh, russian empire in 1917 to world war 2 in 1945 this used to be poland stalin seized all of this pushed poland into eastern germany and gave this to ukraine so this used to be 90% polish territory it became 90% ukrainian territory and all the rednecks from here moved here mm-hmm. okay so notice this now fast forward almost 6 7 years this is the presidential election that happens in 2010 what are you seeing here so compared to your homogenous vote right ah abhi no. dikh raha hai ah ab dekho see how these areas have started Are shifting converted. towards these areas yeah. ah yeah 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 so what is happening is population migration and see how here they become even more nationalistic these are donetsk and lugansk mm. so you can clearly see that population migration is happening this is getting more nationalistic this is getting more nationalistic mm. so okay. basically and the political area, landscape of ukraine is changing now i won't say this is genocide but there is definitely migration happening mm mm there is an actual population change happening out here right now you come to this now this is an important map that now see how the ethnolinguistics of this are split theek hai na okay now see ethnic ukrainians predominantly ukrainian speaking this has now changed it's gone from predominantly russian speaking to predominantly ukrainian speaking theek hai na uh and there's a reason to this this area is particularly sinister after 2014 because what happens is this is where a lot of uh, after what the russians do in 2014 which is seize crimea and create the donetsk and lugansk republic there is an actual forced ethnic migration of russians out of here Kharkiv for the first time in its life 
goes from being a huge Russian majority city to a huge Ukrainian majority city. And, and mind you, this is literally happened... like 30 kilometers away from the Russian border, right? Exactly. Somewhere here. Okay. Mm. Now, uh, mostly Russian speaking and predominantly Russian speaking. Okay. Mm. Now, let's see what The identification of languages. Notice how ye ye ethnically cleansed but here you can still see so can you see this is a process that's happening it's a slow and sure process because remember this was taken as per the 2001 census this is also as per the 2001 census but you can clearly see there is a population that is being forced to shift forced yeah, to shift but- out here yeah but why are they being forced to shift to change the demography of the cities uh well some people say it's natural the russians claim that it was forced on them through ukrainian ukrainianization policies you know that you have to speak ukrainian otherwise this uh, preferential treatment just like russia had its oligarchs these people also had their own oligarchs and things uh so they claim it was a forced process uh i this is like kosovo the problem about kosovo is before nato bombed kosovo kosovo was about 45% serb mm-hmm. after nato bombed kosovo and created an independent country in kosovo it's become 90% muslim but nobody talks about it it's a nato supervised mm-hmm. ethnic cleansing so the problem is when a western ally ethnically cleanses nobody documents it mm. okay now look what happens right. here this is the map now remember we spoke about the map of elections this is the uh, uh 2004 presidential election sorry the 1994 presidential election this is the 2010 presidential election and you see the shift here to here to here and here very important mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is what the rest of the country fears so when putin says that there have been ethnic atrocities clearly he's talking about reality that's been happening now it may not be atrocities it may be natural population movement and things like that we don't know because remember ukraine got hit much harder by economic meltdowns than russia did mm-hmm. but <coughs> there is a point to be made and mostly what happens is it's a bit of hit and miss these areas here especially kiev they are your vote deciders so sometimes they will go with a pro russian candidate sometimes they will go with a pro ukrainian candidate it's almost mm-hmm. impossible to predict so this is why the 2004 elections uh, a ukrainian candidate pro ukrainian candidate wins but the same guy who lost in 2004 wins in 2010 notice there isn't much of a difference except these two areas have voted these these two areas here and here here and here hmm. vote for yanukovych in 2010 who's the same guy who gets defeated by yushchenko in hmm. uh 2004 so see it's these are very slender results now you understand why i'm doing this i'm building up to euromaidan and the election hmm. that follows euromaidan now this is the electoral map see this is the referendum 
people who wanted to stay with Russia, people who were kind of wanted to stay with Russia, people who maybe wanted to stay with Russia, people who absolutely did not want to, absolutely did not want to stay with Russia, maybe mm, kind of stay with Russia kind of attitudes, right? Uh, with the USSR, sorry. sorry. And notice the first presidential uh, elections in 1991, which Kravchuk wins. Now remember, Kravchuk lost this election like so. This became Kuchma and this was Kravchuk in 1994. But remember, earlier presidential election, 91, guess who votes for Kravchuk? It's all the Catholic areas. The same mm. people who absolutely detest Russia and they're mostly Catholic. Okay. Now, the reason these are all in a map is, you see the variations here in voting patterns. Some are presidential elections. This one was the most confused presidential election of the lot. But generally, look, there's a pattern where this area, maybe sometimes this area, votes for one guy. And this area always, always, you show me one map where they've ever voted for the same guy. One one question here, Abhijit. How, how, how fair are the election processes in this Ukrainian area just if maybe just generally they've, they've, they've always been fair they've always been fair nobody has ever particularly complained about it hmm. till uh, you know 2014 and all of that okay now remember here is the problem these people like in India where most of your population is agri agricultural population these people essentially control parliament for most part. Whereas these people contribute the most to GDP. Mm -hmm. These people want a tie-up with the EU. These people want a tie-up with Russia. Why? Because their entire industry is linked to Russia. They feel that... Now I get the, the entire EU... conflict. Right. Now I get you see, it. See, this is why history is so important. This and one I, map actually made everything clear. This parliamentary elections 2007. Right. But it's also al almost the same in parliamentary elections 2012. Right. Mm. It's So you notice it, it's a pattern. It's a consistent pattern. The historical differences were for a reason. This is, mm. this is UP Bihar. Okay, this is your Mumbai, uh, this thing. It's like, you know, the Muslims in Mumbai, the Boris and things, they want nothing to do with Pakistan. Mm. Okay, but your UP wala Deobandis want to join Pakistan. Got it. Right. Because they Bimaru state, these are industrial states. So there are all these problems that keep coming in. And this is where you understand and why I showed you all these maps is when you see a map, you need to understand maps are all politics. Okay, how you draw the map, the granular detail and the context you go into is all politics. Okay, uh, now let's come to the 2019 presidential election. This is the first election that happens now. Okay, now quick history. What happens is these points want a trade deal with Europe. These guys mm -hmm. don't want it. They want a trade deal with Russia because as it is, they feel that they have been kicked out of these areas 
If the trade deal goes through, this area will become bankrupt and deindustrialized. This area will industrialize. This will become agricultural. And what has happened? This is the Kashmir of Ukraine. Will happen to this also. Hmm. Okay. Now, what happens is the president at that point of time, Yanukovych, because this is the most electorally significant part, is negotiating with the EU. Russia tells him this is a red line; don't cross it. Instead, we're offering you a trade deal. So Yanukovych says, "I am not going to <coughs> sign the deal with the EU. I am going to instead sign a deal with Russia." That is his right. That is his presidential power. But that then becomes the Euromaidan, so-called Euromaidan revolution, which is entirely a coup. Make no mistake about it, because after I've given you all this context, you should understand it is a coup. It becomes a mm. full-blown coup against the government. What January sixth was to America, Euromaidan was to Ukraine. <clears throat> Except January sixth failed, the Euromaidan succeeded. And from that mm. point on, you get these ultra-nationalist Ukrainian governments. Okay, but they are all corrupt as hell. They are all corrupt as hell. They, no one is any less corrupt than the previous guy. So what happens is in 2019, a comedian called Volodymyr Zelensky starts promising people. Now he is born in Kriviri, which is somewhere here. It's a Russian majority area, and he's a Russian Jew. He's not a Ukrainian Jew. He's a Russian Jew. Okay, so he comes from this area in the Russian. His his the language he speaks at home that he's grown up speaking has been Russian. He promises, but he's mm. a Jew. Now he promises people. Think of him as Arvind Kejriwal. That I will unite all of you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And for the first time in Ukraine's electoral history, see how Ukraine votes. Oh my God! Super asaf. Yeah. Yeah. Holy moly! Hmm. Ooh. Okay. Now, so, what only is that area promised? that Khrushchev gave away that held? No, no, no. Khrushchev gave away this area. That is the uh, Crimean yeah. Peninsula, but that yeah, is under that Russian occupation. Remember, in, no, no, that no, no. In twenty fourteen, this was uh, annexed by Russia. No, just like Donetsk oh, and Lugansk. Sorry, 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 sorry. So sorry, these sorry, two I areas, ha, ha, ha. Right. area tha, Sorry. Correct. So ye, these these didn't take part in the election, but this is all Russian majority areas that voted for Vladimir Zelensky because they said, "Tu to Russian hai, tu Yahudi hai, par tu Rusi hai." And he also said, you know, I'm going to give autonomy. He was like your classic Lenin. What Lenin, Lenin said, oh, yeah. you know, we need to look at, uh, you know, uh, back to here. See, everything is, <coughs> history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. So when Lenin says, I'm planning to Ukrainian nationalism and giving you this, that's kind of what Zelensky does in reverse. He's like, Deko, humare Rusi pe so I am going to uh, uh, ratify the Minsk Accords, which give complete autonomy to these provinces, these eastern mm -hmm. provinces, or these oppressed provinces, the oppressed industrial provinces. I am going to put them on equal footing here. And meanwhile, like Kejriwal saying different things to different people, 
he's blowing a completely different trumpet here the only people holding out against him are the catholics because they hate anything russian and anything jewish if you're a russian and if you're a jew you're the worst kind of enemy that they can get they would preferably see so you in are, a gas chamber are they the the ukrainian ethno nationalists uh yes the, these are the most rabid now remember this map here where i showed you remember this the presidential election of 2010 see how this had become the ultra right ukrainian nationalist while this had become the ultra right russian nationalist Mm-hmm. Now superimpose this ultra-nationalist Ukrainian area onto this, and remember the Catholic voting. The Catholics always vote very differently. Petro Poroshenko is the guy that won the presidential election after Euromaidan, so he was essentially a Western puppet. the poles latvians lithuanians all the catholics loved him and the protestants loved him which is why he got these votes mm-hmm. <coughs> here he spoke here zelensky spoke about anti corruption here he spoke about minority rights which is why for the first time in ukraine's electoral history the entire country voted so overwhelmingly for him across mm-hmm. regions now here's the where the fun starts when he comes to power he starts playing the same game that led to euromaidan in the first place now remember we were discussing euromaidan that this mm-hmm. guy wanted to sorry this guy wanted to sign a deal with here but russia yeah. offered him a deal when he decided to sign with here they removed him from par zelensky mm-hmm. is a crook he is a product of oligarchs so he is like arvind kejriwal he can neither deliver here nor can he deliver here mm-hmm. so he starts playing these games where mere ko nato membership chahiye tumhare sath mere ko trade deal mm-hmm. chahiye tumhare sath and the worst thing is he throws his previous electorate under the truck saying now that you have a russian jewish president mm-hmm. you don't need to worry and i'm going to take away all your autonomy so the reverse of the minsk process is where the power of parliament the verkhovna rada is all taken away mm-hmm. and centralized into his hands So now understand what Putin is thinking. This was in 1991 for the 2001 census. Ab idhar se already tumne idhar se nikal ke bas idhar tak kar diya hai. Zelensky is going to do a lot worse. Now this is where you understand the denazification comes in because in Putin's mind what has happened here. and what zelensky is doing plus the azov battalion the azov brigade and the aidar brigade and c14 and all those neo nazi groups they are all mm. part of the same nexus mm. so this is why it had become bardash ke bahar for putin at this point mm. now i still don't think he should have done what he did because there were still several cards to be played the problem was that the parliament his primary tool for preventing ukrainian eu membership and ukrainian nato membership was parliament the more and more it now turns out that zelensky turned uh, signed his own death warrant when he decided to go back on the minsk agreement giving these places autonomy and decide to centralize powers onto himself from the verkhovna rada hmm. 
समझ में आ रहा है अब तक या सो अभी जस्ट टू समराइज मेरे को थोड़ा लोग ताकि लोग बिकॉज देर इज दिस इज अ लॉर्ड ऑफ यू नो इंफॉर्मेशन फॉर पीपल सो वॉट आई एम ट्राइंग टू अंडरस्टैंड एंड पुट इट इन परस्पेक्टिव इज देर इज अथनो लिंग्विस्टिक डाइवर्सिटी इन साइड दीज सोसाइटीज एथनो लिंग्विस्टिक इज द राइट वर्ड इट इज एथनो लिंग्विस्टिक इट इज नॉट जस्ट लिंग्विस्टिक विच इज क्वाइट क्लियर करेक्ट so okay. because Now, of this ethno linguistic diversity there are certain urban centers and prosperous centers or semi urban and urban vis a vis let's say rural underdeveloped centers now one one side of ukrainian society thinks x and one side thinks y one wants to join europe one wants to stay loyal to russia and i kind of feel like a situation i'm not saying it is an exact parallel i'm just using this small micro analogy where कई बार श्रीलंका की एक गवर्नमेंट चाइना पसंद करती है एक गवर्नमेंट इंडिया पसंद करती है और एक इसको गिराता है एक इसको गिराता है उसमें मर रहे यूक्रेन के लोग हैं और जो पॉलिटिशियंस होते हैं दे आर जस्ट पॉपेट्स ऑफ वन रिजीम और दी अदर where does this nazi thing come from see this guy his name is stepan pandera share the screen again yeah okay all right he was an ss officer so you remember where i showed you the map of that thode der ke liye you can remove this now uh, you can remove the all screen right. share yeah where the uh, uh uh the shot that 6 to 8 month long uh, ukrainian state was formed stepan bandera mm-hmm. comes from the west of the country catholic wants to ye ye jo rural jaise jat pride gujar pride ki tarah ukrainian nationalism that they want to bring have you seen those uh, you you don't live in delhi so you don't see these labels after whisky jat is risky uh things like no, that I you know jat pride and things like that ha udhar to nahi milega na tere ko but uh, jat gujar pride maharashtra vc maratha pride or stuff like that ha ha maratha pride or tamilnadu you see tamil pride ha <coughs> so uh this guy is a murderous bloody nazi now what the amazing thing about these nazis ukrainian nazi is they actually get a lot of support from israeli jews that's insane uh, it has been it is insane you've actually seen a lot of problems this has been a huge discussion within israel of a lot of former soviet jews returning to ukraine and supporting these blatantly nazi parties because they've just about forgotten their own history mm. okay now given you the ethnic rational to what has happened now remember in the background what has been happening in 1997 through the early 90s nato bombed serbia uh, well the serbs yes. in bosnia uh, yeah, yes the bosnian crisis the bosnian serbs who are also slavs they used to look up they've always looked up to the russian tsar as their protector mm-hmm. yugoslavia means southern slav region okay mm-hmm. so yugoslavia is uh when bosnia breaks up mind you the breakup of uh uh yugoslavia itself is brought about by the germans helmut kohl's mm-hmm. foreign minister hans dietrich genscher 
very openly, mind you, he says, we owe them a wartime debt. Because remember, the Croats were Nazi allies. The highest fatality concentration camp was not Auschwitz or Dachau. It was Yasinovac concentration camp, which was run by the Croat Ustasha of Ante okay. Pavlic. And mind you, even in 1890, Genshin wants to pay back the debt to the Croats. Which is why he supports Cro Croatia seceding from the Yugoslav Union, which sets off the entire war in Yugoslavia. The Germans played a very direct and known role in all of this. They, they don't like to talk about their Nazi history, but they still play to a very Nazi history playbook out there, supporting their old World War II allies based on gratitude for World War II. Based mm -hmm. on gratitude for killing Slavs and killing Jews. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. when NATO goes in, now the Serbs, the Bosnian Serbs are horrible people. They actually kill lots of people. They are doing genocide. Let's not forget that. Anyway, so NATO goes, bombs them, forces them to the negotiating table. And the Serbs say there's been so much blood spilt. We can't be one country. Like Jinnah said, you know, you eat the cow. Uh, sorry, we eat cows. You worship cows. By no stretch of imagination can, be one, can we be one country. Essentially, what the Bosnians are saying, we have killed you. Uh... And you hate us, and by no stretch of imagination can we can we be one country? NATO says no. Mm -hmm. You will be one country. You're forcing it down your throat. But when the same thing happens in Kosovo, but remember, Kosovo is very cleverly sparked. The KLA, the Kosovo Liberation Army, is a terrorist organization. They go on carrying out terror attacks against Serbian police and Serbian army, and the Serbian army get provoked and they retaliate disproportionately, which is when NATO decides to start intervening. And when NATO mm -hmm. intervenes, the Serbs go berserk and they start pushing all Kosovars who are Muslims out. And then they use that for mm -hmm. post-facto justification. Now, when this happens, NATO says, you know what? Now, mind you, the NATO intervention in Kosovo was done without a UN authorization. It was done mm -hmm. under humanitarian intervention principles, the right to protect, as it's called. Now, the mm -hmm. problem is the right to protect gives you the allows you to go in and protect that country. It doesn't negate the territorial integrity and sovereignty of that country. But what NATO does is they create a completely new state called Kosovo, which is totally illegal, and make a new country out of it. Kosovo mm. is still not a member of the UN because the Russians will not allow it to come into the UN. So understand, by 1997, everything that Russia is doing to Ukraine has already been by NATO to another Slavic country called Serbia. Mm. I was just about to say that. This is number one. But in 2001, Vladimir Putin, well, in 2000, Vladimir Putin becomes president. In 2001, mm -hmm. he's still very keen on joining NATO. He's kind of forgiven. He says, you know, Yeltsin was a doddering alcoholic. He couldn't deal with this. Maybe I am different. I can deal with this. Let me try. What's the harm? So, you know, when Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia want to join NATO, he's like, Bhai, teri marzi, teri ko join karna hai, join karna. You join wherever you want to join. Uh, when Ukraine says it wants to join, he's like, huh, sure, you want to join, go ahead and join. Not my problem. It's you're an independent state. This is your right. When he goes and asks Bill Clinton, Billy boy, I want to join. Billy outright rejects it. Do you know why? Yeah, but I was just going to think, why would that man say no at that point of time? Yeah, think about it. Because 
Germany, France and Britain each have populations of between 60 to 80 million. Okay. We are still not able to unify NATO, European defense and things like that. Russia with 160 million people at that point, 160. Now I think it's 140 million people joining completely destabilizes America's monopoly over NATO. Ah. So they want everybody, but they do not want Russia. <laughs> Especially when Russia has such a strong, powerful industry. If it gets integrated with the EU, all its oil resources and mineral resources become EU resources. If it joins NATO, the entire Russian military industrial complex becomes a European military industrial complex. It destroys American supremacy within NATO or at least undermines it very significantly. That is something America doesn't want. So America and, is not that pure and pious, eh? Mm, now remember, there is more. When the Soviet Union collapses, uh, the Russians get import these uh, two idiots from uh, America. They are Russian-American Jews uh, who are corrupt and incompetent as hell. Whatever they touch turns to shit. But the Russians didn't know that at that point because they were going back. Harvard ke professor hai, sab kuch Theke na? Mm -hmm. uh, the same way, you know, the same Harvard that uh, that is, I guess, why Nidhi Razdan felt entitled to a Harvard professorship. <laughs> so uh, she, she fits in right there with these two guys. So what are these clowns called? Andre Schliefer and uh, Jeffrey Sachs. And between Jeffrey Sachs and Andre Schliefer, they destroy the Russian economy. They also do insider trading and profit very significantly from the destruction of the Russian economy, which they put into the hands of Russian oligarchs who are almost 60 to 70% Jewish. Incidentally, the man... Jewish? Yeah. Boris Berezovsky is a Jew. Roman Abramovich is a Jew. Okay. And it's not surprising because remember, the Jews are the most educated and cultured Russians. A lot of Russian nationalism was Jewish Russian nationalism. People tend to forget this. Just on a side note, now I know why Israel's stand in this entire episode is so nuanced. Exactly. Okay. I would suspect a lot of Israel's GDP actually comes from Russia and oligarch, Russian oligarchs. <laughs> so they have zero interest in seizing anything that belongs to Russian oligarchs. Now, in 1991, when the Soviet Union collapses, before Jeffrey Sachs and Andrei uh, uh, Schliefer, uh, 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 Schliefer come in, the IMF issues directives to both. Remember, this is when China is also industrializing. They say, forget manufacturing. Go in for services. Be become the services adjunct to the West. Russia follows that advice because these Andrei Shifrin and uh, 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 Sachs are Americans. China says, Tere ka and it decides to go the industrial path. Today, look where China is and look where Russia is. This is why when people like Raghuram Rajan, who claim to be of Indian descent, or that other clown, who said uh, uh, Arvind Subramaniam, all these American yeah. Indian uh, economists come and tell you, ye karo, wo karo, wo karo, hum sab kuch jante hain, hum Harvard ke hain. My answer to them always is, okay, 
don't trust those bastards. If you ever trust those bastards, remember these two names, Jeffrey Sachs, both of Russian Jewish extraction and <coughs> Andrei Schriefer. Just remember that. Now, one of the biggest beneficiaries of this uh, uh, wholesale crony capitalism sale to these private uh, scruples is a Jew called Boris Berezovsky. Boris Berezovsky is a rapist. He is known to have raped. He prefers young underage girls. But when Putin comes, Putin gets rid of all the old oligarchs. But because of the nature of the Russian economy, he can't reform it. He creates a new set of oligarchs who are under him. Who are, curiously enough, 90% of them are also Jews or Ukrainians. Okay, only 10% of them are Russians. And Usme Sebi, the biggest of the lot, is a Uzbek Muslim called Alisher Usmanov. So remember how we were talking about Russia being ethnically extraordinarily diverse. They don't, Russianism is a state of mind. It's for Ukraine, Ukrainian is an ethno nationalist concept. For Russia, even to this day, Holy Mother Russia is a state of mind. You don't even, mm. long gone is the requirement for you to be an Orthodox Russian. You just have to speak Russian and be Russian in spirit. Okay. So there is this, there is still this heterogeneity within Russia. And there is still this sort of regressive homogeneity within Ukraine and its view of the entire world. So you can understand, given Russia's own history, where it loses 26 million people killed in World War II. And so many of their soldiers and people just killed off through summary executions and gas chambers and whatnot. You will understand the national trauma of Russia. When they see nationalism, when they see Nazi symbols, there's the whole history that goes into all of this. Now, add this to NATO not wanting to take in uh, this thing. Now, 2001, say, Putin starts shifting. His mind space starts shifting. Boris Berezovsky opposes him, finds refuge in London. In London, he's seen as this great liberator, free market pioneer. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that he was a complete scumbag. He was a rapist. Uh, he raped young girls, underage young girls. Uh, or that he profited off pure capitalism. He had zero business acumen. All that he got was buying things on the stock market that his buddies, uh, Andre Schriefer and Jeffrey Sachs had sold him for a pittance. And he paid their wives and people like that. Andre Schriefer was actually put through the courts for it. He agreed to a, a $26 million settlement. It was kept out of court, but he had to pay. He and Harvard had to pay $26 million to cover up their role in the Russian privatization program. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all a matter of public record. The problem is nobody will quote it or put it. You will never see it reference. You remember how in the last thing we uh, last uh, podcast, we spoke about reference loops, how people will deliberately yeah, yeah. avoid referencing anybody. So you will never be able to go back to a primary source and they will completely eliminate one stream of information. So that is what has happened with Andre Schliefer and Jeffrey Sachs and people like that to this day. If you go to uh, uh, the uh, uh, Wikipedia entries for Andre Schriefer and Jeffrey Sachs, most of what they did to the Russian economy, you won't see. Now, of all the post-Soviet economies, who did the best? Poland and the Czech Republic. Okay. The Czech Republic was anyway extremely industrialized, but they didn't do shock therapy. They did very slow, gradual reforms like the Chinese government did. 
Poland did the same thing, but Poland was one of the most backward parts of the USSR empire. So what happens is Poland only starts doing well after EU membership and massive EU funds are pumped into Poland. Hmm. Okay. So understand, when you cumulatively look at this, if you are Putin, you're thinking there's a huge bloody conspiracy. You send me not one, but two, two possibly more corrupt fuckers who destroy my economy. IMF, which provides me with bad advice. You don't want me in NATO, but you want all my erstwhile colonies in NATO. What is going on? Then they go in and do the intervention in Libya and Syria. Now, Mm-hmm. Syria is uh, Libya is a particularly interesting case because what happens in Libya is uh, remember 1989 in the collapse of the Soviet Union. What yeah. had happened was Gorbachev. The Russians all say Gorbachev was given a verbal assurance that NATO will not expand east. Okay, the Americans so say. Ha, so the Russians say Kagaz nahi dikhayenge. The Americans say Kagaz dikhao. Kagaz pe kahan hai? Agar paper pe nahi hai, then you are as illegal as a Bangladeshi citizen in India. Mm. Now, what happens with the Libya resolution is the UN passes, the UN Security Council passes a resolution under humanitarian intervention saying you have to enact a ceasefire. But the French, the Brits and the Americans go in and enact full regime change and they remove Muammar Gaddafi. And the Russians say, Bencho, kya karke rakha hai? we agreed on a ceasefire, not on regime change. And the Americans say, Humne to tumko verbally bola tha ki hum regime change karne wale. So just say, Twada kutta, Tommy, Mera kutta kutta, Twada verbal assurance, verbal assurance, Mera kutta, uh, uh, Mera verbal, uh, Twada verbal assurance, Juta, Mera verbal assurance, Sacha. Now, remember that verbal assurance over Libya was given during Medvedev's period. Vladimir Putin could have extended his term over the two-year term limit. Even then, he didn't need to make Medvedev president. But he accepted maybe he was the problem in the relationship and having somebody pro-Western like Medvedev could reset the relationship. Mm -hmm. So he made Medvedev president and he was horrified to find that Medvedev had been made a fool of just like Gorbachev had been made a fool of. Which is why Medvedev was removed from power. Well, in a very nice way, but he was removed from power. But he's kept on in cabinet and he continues to get humiliated every day. You know, during cabinet meetings, they'll say, oh, that was such a stupid decision. Who took it? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to say it. He is on a daily basis kept in cabinet and humiliated in cabinet for what he pulled off in Libya. Because this is where Putin decides, Ki Benchut, I can't trust any of you. I am the last man standing and I am the only person who is not stupid enough. But remember, Russia has a history of morons. Medvedev and Gorbachev were not the only two morons. Zarina Katrina's husband, uh, Catherine the Great's husband. Tsar, uh, uh, mm-hmm. was it Tsar Paul? Let me just check. Uh, let me just, uh, uh, Catherine the Great. I keep confusing between Tsar's uh, uh, Peter and Paul. Huh. Uh, Peter III of Russia, who ruled only for six months before she removed him in a coup. Now imagine this woman, German princess, who is more Russian than her half Russian husband. She's like, Tu kya hai is desh ko chalane wala? Main chala ke dikhaun. Chai se ketli garam. 
And to this day, nobody see Alexandra, who was Tsar Nicholas's wife, who got uh, uh, killed by the Soviets. That's when the Russian Revolution happens. She's she was and she continues to be referred to as that German bitch. Okay, but Catherine the Great, who was one hundred percent German, not one bloody drop of Russian blood. If you go tell a Russian that she was German. They'll say, Bosri, tu kaun hai? Tere, meri maa kaun hai? Pata hai tere ko? Catherine the Great meri maa hai. So remember, the Russian mind is a very, very open mind. It's a very weird mind. But they will happily accept Tsarina Katharina as the great Tsarina of Russia. For them, she was the Russian goddess. So in a very weird way, they're not that ethnically attached to certain identities. They're not. They're more idea-driven, not ethnically, uh, ethnically exactly. driven. Exactly. So, for example, uh, uh, um, you know, Ruslan Khaspulatov, who was the Speaker of Parliament, uh, who tried the coup against Boris Yeltsin with Alexander Rutskoy uh, in 1990-something, when, you know, uh, Yeltsin ordered the crackdown and bombed his own parliament. Uh, Ruslan Khaspulatov was a Chechen. You know, you have a Eskimo leader called Lenin, well, a Turko Eskimo leader called Lenin as your ultra powerful leader you have a georgian called stalin as your ultra powerful leader you have khrushchev a uh, uh, ukrainian as your ultra powerful leader kis kis drishtikon se tum russian nationalism ko ethnocentric bol rahe ho right in fact so in, when uh, in people... this case razib's piece can also back up your thing right because razib shows it from even from a genetic perspective right from the population right. Ra- razib shows it from a genetic perspective which shows you that the ukrainians are all endogamous inbred shits whereas the russians are they they like to marry anyone they come across they yeah. you know russians they believe in that old adage na cover the face and fire at the base they literally do that okay <laughs> That is too much. I'm sorry to say that. No, but that, that's the way they think. Okay. So there's a very famous story under Zarina Anna, who was the Zarina about. Uh, so before Zarina Katharina was Zarina Elisabetta, and before Zarina Elisabetta was Zarina Anna, uh, uh, Anna Lopukina. Uh, she was a really nasty Zarina, and she hated this one noble. So he got her. So she got him married off to a Mongol Buddhist bride, one of her nobles. Uh, who was noted for her ugliness it turned out that the russian noble and the zarina and she made them spend their night in an igloo in a palace built of ice mm-hmm. deliberately to humiliate them it turned out that the russian prince and the uh, mongol bride they got along really well and their marriage lasted for very long but zarina anna died the next month So there's lots of stories that you'll come across in Russia of the sort of ethnic mingling and things like that. But anyway, back to the narrative. So Libya happens. So anyway, so what I was talking about Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great, her husband Tsar Peter the Third, under his mother Empress Elizabetta, the Russian army has crushed the Germans. They are literally on the outskirts of Berlin. What is happening to Kiev mm-hmm. today? They've done to Berlin. They've surrounded Berlin in the mid 1700s. and they are about to enter and kill this famous uh, german emperor called frederick the great who is called a great military genius he was a complete duffer but anyway they they know him as a great military genius but uh, uh, they have surrounded him and about to kill him now peter the third german prince who becomes the tsar of russia is so smitten by frederick the great 
Peter the Third is also allegedly a homosexual. Apparently, nobody really knows, but there are beliefs that his love of Frederick was this uh, what young boys do when they look at the famous uh, whoever their favorite actress or whatever is. He had that kind of a uh, you know penthouse or playboy. Khol ke kya karte hain young boys? So apparently, Peter the Third used to do that with Frederick the Great. Uh, uh, these are all stories that Catherine's propaganda spread. So we don't really know. But anyway. But it was important that Catherine spread that propaganda. She literally gives back the millions of square kilometers of territory that uh, Russia has seized under Tsarina Elizaveta back to Frederick, makes him king again. And he jointly attacks his old ally, Denmark, who was fighting against Friedrich the Great with Russia. He decides to let Friedrich attack them and annex their land. Aise pagal tumne dekha hai. जर्मन हूं पर मैं तुमसे भी ज्यादा राशन हूं राइट हर सन पॉल इज रेप्यूटेडली नॉट द सन ऑफ Peter the Third. She keeps dropping hints throughout her rule. Ki iska baap mera pati nahi tha. Pata hai tere ko wink, wink, wink. So Paul completely grows up with this complex. Ki mera baap actually mera baap nahi tha. Main kisi aur ka bastard hu. So when he comes to power, he does two things. One is he reverts to this great German filia of his father, of his alleged father. The second is he bans women from ever inheriting the throne, mm-hmm. and by this time, in the short period of 150 years, Russia has already had four female czars. Females have ruled on the Russian throne longer than men have up to this point. That's fascinating. And ruled with absolute power, they were complete czarinas in their own right. Okay. So there was Tsarina Elizabeth the first, then Tsarina Anna, then Tsarina Elizabeth the second. So Russia also had Elizabeth the first and Elizabeth the second, and Tsarina uh, Katerina the Great. Okay. So imagine he does these two things, and again, all those Russian. He, boy, your ethnicity, what is it? I am interested. If you betray Russian national interest, we are going to kill you. They kill him. His own son. Tsar Alexander Pavlovich kills him, or rather has him killed, and the people who killed him are well known. Alexander refuses to punish them, so he always has the sort of pale of patricide hanging over him. Now, one of the reasons of Tsar Paul's death was Paul's very weak policy towards Germany, number one, and because Germans were fighting with Napoleon, he didn't want to fight them either. Weak policies, whereas Alexander becomes the czar who ultimately defeats Napoleon, which is why he's always known as Alexander the Victorious. There is no czar. Even Peter the Great is nothing compared to Alexander in uh, 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 in the Russian mind, right? So when, for example, when uh, the second, uh, the First World War breaks out, Tsar Nicholas brings out the same piece of paper. So when Napoleon invades Russia. Tsar Alexander reads out this piece of paper, uh, you know, swearing fealty to Holy Mother Russia, and how he will defend her against all foreign trash and all of that. Nicholas brings out the same piece of paper, and he pledges the same loyalty to Holy Mother Russia. 
that is the power of that russian narrative that keeps continuing down right till the end and mind you when uh, uh, this fellow stalin orders his counter attack on germany who does he name it after a fellow georgian called bagration prince bagration who died in a cavalry charge who was one of the generals of the russian army who died in a cavalry charge against napoleonic forces so that entire russian counter offensive against uh, uh, germany is named op- operation bagration in english we call it bagration bagration b a g r a t i o n georgian prince mai georgian hu georgian ka naam lunga so imagine even the if and if you go talk to people like latvians lithuanians estonians and all of that ukrainians especially because you know stalin inflicted the famine the holodomor on uh, ukraine uh oh the russians did this to us uh boss stalin was georgian like no 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 but you see he was russian he was in his mind he was russian so mind you when they come to us and speak in english all these latvian lithuanian estonian polish and uh ukrainian and georgian diplomats will tell you oh these russians are ethno nationalists they're religious ethno nationalists and all of that Whereas everything that they know about Russia, including Stalin, will tell you that the entire concept of Russian food has never been about that. Russia is truly a state of mind. Okay, mm-hmm. so coming back to Putin, so Putin has this history of Tsar Peter the Third, who sold out his country, Tsar Paul, who almost sold out his country and was killed and replaced, Gorbachev, who did sell out, uh, and mind you, he included Lenin in that. because you remember in that map i showed you why the treaty of brest litovsk was signed why because uh, lenin want to focus on the internal civil war first even though he knew germany was just 6 months away from defeat got it he still so he considers lenin also to be a traitor mhm in this long line of traitors though less of a traitor because he wasn't adult he did it for real politic reasons which putin can kind of semi forgive but not completely forgive okay and finally you get to uh, uh syria where everybody remembers what happened humanitarian intervention pe gaye they really didn't want stability they just wanted mm-hmm. to keep propping up terrorists and things like that they propped up isis <coughs> and finally when 2014 happens he's like bye you will not ethnically cleanse my people anymore he goes into crimea lugansk and donetsk and he thinks the same thing because remember after crimea donetsk and lugansk are formed all the ukrainian neo nazis supported by israeli uh, uh 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 ukrainian and israeli russian oligarchs are supporting these nazis to go on killing people in donetsk and lugansk 14000 people to date have been killed in constant fighting mostly by uh these neo nazi brigades who have since been incorporated into the ukraine formally incorporated into the ukrainian armed forces mm-hmm. and there are videos of them capturing russians and literally crucifying them you know putting nails into their hands on a cross and putting them up you saw uh, what happened to that mma fighter what they did a genuine question here abhi, abhi. Yeah. um uh won't the russian army or won't the russians also be doing particular atrocities like this i i of generally course. i'm not trying to the russians the russians are brutal this. yeah look there are two things first is the russians are genuinely brutal nasty characters if they go in you better run 
But the second problem here is first, these Ukrainian fellows, they act, Ukrainian neo-Nazis, they act under quasi-government control. The government doesn't want any responsibility, so they are given a much freer hand, whereas Russians being part of a formal army are somewhat constrained, number one. Number two, remember, Putin and the Russians fundamentally believe that we are one people. See, that is the history of Russia I've been trying to explain. They believe we are brothers. But the Ukrainians believe we are brothers. It's like how Indians always say Pakistani, Hindustani, bhai, bhai. But Pakistani, Hindustani, bhai, bhai, if you say to a Pakistani, they're like, you're trying to mess around with my identity. You've not reconciled yourself to partition. You want to destroy me. Mm. Okay, so atrocities, of course, all armies do atrocities. I mean, but the Ukrainian atrocities are proportionally much, much higher because they're carried out by militias, okay. which are fundamentally like Salva Judo. Remember, the Got worst it. excesses in the anti-Naxal movement were carried out by Salva Jodun because they were quasi-government. Government still had to follow. If you if you are government and do certain things, there is a price to pay. If you are Salva Jodun and certain, do certain things, there is no price to pay mm-hmm. or very little of a price to pay. Same thing, right? Basically. Um, so, with all of this, I hope you understand why what has happened has happened so far. I still yeah. believe there were a lot of levers that Putin could have used, which is why I still don't understand why he went in and things like that. But this is what has happened so far. Now let's get to right. you questions. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the questions. So someone has asked, I'll take the email question first. Um, because this is more a historical question. So I'm just taking a chronology so that, you know, we go from the history. So was there any influence on the Ottoman conquest into the Balkans in widening the ethnic divides between Ukrainians and Russians? No, <laughs> none. Uh, uh, there was, however, if you go back to the maps, uh, if you want to put those maps, do you want to put the maps up again? Do a screen share? Sure. To uh-huh. screen share? Kar? Nee, I'll do it. To map la, I, I can see your screen. Achha, achha, achha. Uh, I, the moment it is done, I'll put it up. Okay. Yeah, right. Remember this 1751. You remember this? This is the Crimean Khanate, this light pink one. Okay. <coughs> so you look at Cuban Cossacks. See the Crimean Khanate. So hmm. this which was actually part, it was the last part of the Mongol Empire. It was the last gasp of the Mongol Empire till the Mughals. The Mughals were technically the last gasp of the Mongol Empire. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this was the second last gasp of the Mongol Empire. But Mm -hmm. this was critical in keeping this area completely on tenter hooks and unindustrial. All right, got it, got it. Okay, now I'll ask you the next question. Uh, this is asked, um, has the Russian campaign been as much of a mismanaged shit show? This is more contemporary, I guess, militarily, as it is being made out to be in the Western media. Uh, yes and no. Yes, in okay. that it has actually been badly mismanaged, very badly mismanaged. Mm-hmm. But not as badly mismanaged as you would see. There are huge tactical and operational mistakes that you see. But what we're also seeing, the Russians are adapting very quickly. Remember, nobody in the Russian military even knew. All my friends in the Kremlin were saying, hone wala hai, hone wala hai. Mm. 
<coughs> nobody in the kremlin knew except the cabinet not even the cabinet mm. nobody in uh, the military in the uh, uh, around ukraine knew it was going to happen so they all thought hum bas tamasha ka exercises karne wale hain invasion nahi hone wala hai so they never prepared properly they never thought it out properly nothing but now they are thinking it out properly think of it this way when napoleon invades russia what happens the russians keep withdrawing they lose battles they keep withdrawing 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 and then wham when the germans mm-hmm. invade the russians keep withdrawing 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 and then wham okay mm-hmm. it's the same thing the russians learn from their mistakes very very quickly mm-hmm. okay <clears throat> more importantly what you need to understand here is the russian advance to date has been much faster than the german blitzkrieg advance into ukraine was mm-hmm. per day they have advanced 5 kilometers more than the german army did so it's actually an extremely fast assault on ukraine got it got it okay th- I, i guess you've answered this i don't know so but if you want to clarify when and why did neo nazism in ukraine start or was it uh, i mean maybe it did start but it was seriously propped up by the west i guess they're trying to distinguish between the two maybe neo nazism did start in ukraine by its own but what role has the west played in propping it up okay several roles uh, if you remember the guardian interviewed an azov brigade chief uh, and they deliberately blanked out the portrait of stepan bandera they fuzzed out the portrait of stepan bandera at the back mm mm-hmm. uh there have been videos of uh uh lindsay graham and uh, uh 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 john mccain actually going and addressing the azov battalion knowing full well who they were okay there has been a huge they actually addressed as in matlab speech the oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. speech the that is shameful yeah but you never hear about it in the best the one person who brought out all those videos asb military was banned as of this morning early this morning or late last night i don't know when when i was sleeping so they are trying to control what you see about this they are trying to control the information about this or the canadian the minister that you had shown on sham sharma show jab hum the, the deputy the deputy prime minister the deputy prime minister christina friedland christina friedland yeah is the granddaughter of a piece of shit called mihailo chomak who literally used to run a nazi publication he was ukrainian he ran a ukrainian nazi publication worked with stepan bandera where they used to identify populations of jews and beg the german army to go kill them off hmm she knew about this she keeps saying it's russian misinformation which is why at the uh, protest in ottawa she was holding a nazi flag then she deleted it today yeah, abhi even then why are why is the west overlooking this because i refuse to believe that the west because it's a, it's a narrative look it's all narratives they don't want you to hear that narrative remember when saddam hussein gassed his own people the kurds in halabja the west wanted you to believe it was an iranian chemical attack it was only after the invasion of kuwait when they turned against him that they acknowledged he had bombed his own people so basically the morality goes out of question when it is outside american boundaries or outside Correct. the anglo sphere european yeah yeah and and the the liberal values only are pertinent and applicable when it is about inside governance 
outside governance you could do anything it's no 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 not governance our business only when it is in europe in western europe and north america hmm. everywhere else a different morality and a different law applies okay so so i guess this this rules and law and order based order that they keep talking about it's actually a load of bollocks i'm i, I once again i mean everybody knows so I'm understand actually... understand the term understand the term they never say law based order Hmm. they say rules based order what is the difference between a rule and a law hmm. law is when it is enacted and has official sanction rule hmm. is when it is spoken and does not have official sanction so when they say rules based order they saying tum karo jo bhi main kehta hu jab main kehta hu a rule is what i say it is when i say it is i will never make it law because it should never apply to me what mm. i do to kosovo you cannot do to ukraine so so basically what i i don't want this to become an apology for russia because i know i mean recently you were invited to buy russian television and you basically told them to basically suck it uh, i told them to fuck off because one it was uh, you know i am not it's an illegal invasion i am opposing this the same way i oppose nato bombardment of serbia over kosovo hmm. because it was illegal hmm. okay uh, i uh, plus the fact that rt is a bloody uh, pakistani uh, outlet they only keep hmm. supporting pakistan in all their programming and this thing they were the first people to interview shaila rashid do you remember they were the yeah, first yeah, international outlet to remember, remember. shaila rashid hmm. no but it's not like <laughs> russia doesn't play these games right abhijit they also play games right They start I mean, to play these games. Uh, they start to, to understand. Games. I, They're I like, if, if NATO can do it, so can we, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And anyway, sorry, uh, there's one thing I forgot. Very big thing that I forgot. The last straw for Putin was ballistic missile defense. Hmm. Stability had been maintained. Remember, all the other countries have under one thousand warheads. Russia and America were the only two countries that had six, seven, eight, uh, at some point even up to twenty thousand warheads. So, global strategic stability was on the basis of the anti-ballistic missile agreement, where they decided, you should be able to hit us, we should be able to hit you. We will not develop counters to your missiles, so that we mutually deter each other. Otherwise, we're going on playing this catch-up, catch-up, catch-up. like you know uh, covid wasn't deadly then it became a deadly strain you have to find a uh, vaccine for it spending billions of dollars then uh, covid develops into the delta variant then omicron variant and then you have to come up with new booster shots this that so they didn't want that so they said let's all save a lot of money make it stable and keep this ballistic missile out now when iran and north korea start testing ballistic missiles the americans say boss now we need ballistic missile defense ओके रशियन से ठीक है भाई मैं पूरा पूरी तरह से तुम लोगों को समझता हूं वी विल जॉइंटली डेवलप द सिस्टम एंड डिप्लॉय बिकॉज़ रिमेंबर रशिया इज क्लोजेस्ट टू नॉर्थ कोरिया एंड रशिया इज क्लोजेस्ट टू ईरान इफ एन ईरानियन मिसाइल कम्स टू यूरोप और इफ अ नॉर्थ कोरियन मिसाइल कम्स टू नॉर्थ अमेरिका इट विल हैव टू फ्लाई ओवर रशियन टेरिटरी सो यू डेवलप इट एंड स्टेशन इट ऑन आवर टेरिटरी सो दैट वी कैन शूट इट डाउन इवन बिफोर इट गेट्स एयरबोर्न द अमेरिकन से नो now where do they decide to station the missiles when it is developed poland and japan oh so now, they want to keep it so that even russia is in check i guess exactly wah reshano 
<laughs> and that is and that is when Putin has decided from Clinton not wanting me in NATO to your double standards on everything to all the colored revolutions. Even three months back, they tried the colored revolution in Kazakhstan. Remember, mm. the riots. They they tried to replace the Kazakh government. They essentially put a Nazi government in place that was killing that has killed thirteen to fourteen thousand Russian speakers mm. in the last eight years in Ukraine. Uh, they've done it in Georgia. Okay, they did it to the USSR. So he's like, "Bhai, tum ye sab revolution karte rahoge, tum ballistic missile shield karte rahoge. You send these complete jackasses who uh, uh, destroy our economy, and you're giving me all this nonsense about rules-based order and shit like that. You tell me." At what point is he not going to crack? Hmm. Okay. Uh, I guess this this question has been in a way answered. Is NATO desperately trying to create a Pakistan for Russia to be in perpetual conflict in her neighborhood? I think in a way this Afghanistan. is answered. Afghanistan. Yeah. Afghanistan. Yes, they are Afghanistan. trying to create yeah. in Afghanistan. And mind yeah. you, the only people who actually cares about the Ukrainian civilian and all of this, who my heart goes out to, is very surprisingly Vladimir Putin. Because Zelensky is using them as human shields, and the West is using them as pawns. Hmm. Uh, this is again pertaining to something you were talking <laughs> about. Uh, your history. What if Vladimir the Great had become Muslim? What kind of a history would that have uh, been in that area? Which Vla- Vladimir the Great? I don't know. They've asked this. As in the I original mean, I... Vladimir who converted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it it wouldn't have changed anything you know ultimately he would have had to convert to christianity because remember look at all the muslims the khazars a large part mm-hmm. of ukraine was once jewish it was called mm-hmm. khazaria it was a turkic jewish khaganate mm-hmm. it was huge it was extremely powerful and they they were turks who converted to judaism but mm-hmm. uh in uh, uh here they might have converted to islam you know a lot of russians uh, mm-hmm. including uh, Vladimir Putin's own current girlfriend, who's an ex-gymnast, was a Muslim. She converted to Christianity in 2003 before she started dating him. Interesting. Okay. So in that so sense, a lot of these people, even Muslims Marat are not Sahin. accepted in Russian culture also, na, in a way then? No, no, no. Muslims are accepted in Russian culture. If you become a, a Eastern Orthodox, even more so. In the USSR, you didn't need to convert at all. Now, if you convert, even better. If you don't convert, no problem. Marat Safin, for example, Ruslan Kasbulatov, Marat Safin remains a Muslim. Dinara Safinova, Safina, his sister, remains a Muslim, very devout Muslims. Uh, they, they pretend to be devout Muslims. In reality, they eat pork in, quietly on the side. Uh, Ruslan Kasbulatov, okay, uh, Chechen, in fact, not just Muslim, but also a Chechen. Uh, they are all seen as Russians. When uh, you know, Jokhar Dudayev's family, not Jokhar Dudayev, who uh, was the first leader of uh, 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 Chechnya, the Air Force General, the Russian Air Force General who became the first uh, president of Crimea. Uh, one second, let, 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 let me just uh, um, Google Karle. Google Karle. First Chechen war. Uh, yeah, Jokhar Dudayev. Yeah, that was Jokhar Dudayev. Yeah, Jokhar Dudayev. He was a general of the Soviet Air Force. Uh, okay. uh, his family was in Russia. 
and they protected him, protected the family. They never threw the family in jail because they said you're Russian citizens who enjoy all the rights of Russian citizens. Just because your husband or father is killing our people off doesn't mean we're going to throw you in jail. Mm. All right. So this is a question, I think, about India. So I will add to the question to make it more pertinent. So someone has commented, wouldn't oil prices skyrocket given that the demand is going to rise and whatever is going to happen? Wouldn't it cause huge problems in India? Now, I let us keep this as the last segment and then we'll wrap it up. Mm. So India's role in this entire mm. Russia-Ukraine crisis has been coming under fire. I will talk about the name of Bruno has criticized India. Hey, Bruno is a you know, Bruno was kicked out of the Raisina dialogue because he falsely accused some uh, individual of ORF of theft or something like that. And he threatened to get him sacked and he was kicked out of the Raisina dialogue. Well, Myra yeah. McDonald so, has uh, been making interesting comments. Myra McDonald, again, who is she? She's a complete irrelevance. I think yeah. we've seen her historical cluelessness generally. Again, like I said, when you don't take Arvind Subramaniam or Ra Raghuram Rajan Seriously, I've told you that for a reason. It's the same reason Russians view Jeffrey Sachs and Andrei uh, Schlieffer as a as scumbags. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason you should also be viewing people like Bruno Makayesh and Myra McDonald as the scum trash that they are. Mm -hmm. All right. But from the Indian perspective, what do you make of how India has handled this entire... See, on one side, we are sending humanitarian aid to Ukraine. Uh, on the other hand, we have abstained on three occasions when it comes to voting. Uh, the prime minister has had talks with both the Ukrainian leader and Vladimir Putin. Uh, because I think we have to discuss the Indian role. Otherwise, this historical yeah. perspective doesn't become... Otherwise, how do we make it relevant to Indians, right? So why right. do you right. think abstaining was the right thing considering the yes. entire historical perspective? Yes, because remember... The Indian historical perspective is very sensitive to the Russian historical perspective. We don't believe in this. We, we selectively edit our own history, but we understand Russian history a lot. So we understand this narrative. Okay, number one. Number two, we have also opposed the uh, uh, bombing of Syria, Libya, and what happened in Kosovo and Serbia. If you remember when Serbia was being bombed, the serving defense minister at the time, George Fernandez, sat on a, a stage with the Serbian ambassador to Delhi. And they said, uh, India, Russia, Zindabad, America, hi, hi, uh, uh, Serbia, Zindabad. Hmm. Okay, number one. Number two, 60% of our equipment comes from Russia. We can't afford to alienate them, our defense equipment. Good yeah, or bad, I'm not getting into. In but the case of a war, we spares not spare Exactly. Okay. Third, our policy from Nehru's time, Nehru was never good at execution, but surprisingly, this is one of the few policies he actually executed well, is to always divide and rule Russia and China. And mind you, Nehru, as much as you spit on him for this, I want all your fucking audience to stand up. I want you all to stand up. Uh, Kushal, including you, please stand up. Stand up. Stand up. And I want all of you to salute Nehru and say thank you, Nehru. Thank you know you, why? No. Because Nehru did something very, very important here. He brought about the Sino-Soviet split in no small way. Mm. He knew from day one, 
we could not afford a communist bloc encircling us continentally so he'd always support russian aggression in the west like for example uh, well technically he did because uh, when uh, uh, the ussr invaded hungary in 1956 he actually told krishna menon to vote against the ussr krishna menon refused to and accused america of being the aggressor but he never sacked krishna menon for it okay but hmm. it turned out that that was useful because the russians started to like india more and more and more because we gave them democratic validation they like by they the biggest democracy in the world is supporting us they're not on the side of the americans to kiss democracy ki baat kar rahe american kutte so that was their attitude with china we went on playing on mao zedong's brain ki bhai ab jo ye uh, 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 stalin mar gaya hai you are the natural leader china is the natural leader so remember when nehru says china should take over the un security council seat over india i still think it was a mistake but remember there was a calculus in his head was russia the first priority is not for india to get that seat the first priority is russia or china jagadne chahiye china needs to be in direct interest conflict with russia that was part of his calculus so when khrushchev says no bloody hell i may be only 1/10th of your population but i have uh, well it wasn't 1/10th at that time it was about 1/5th the population i am the industrial superpower you are a third world country no way china uh, mao zedong is going to take over the in- international communist leadership nehru creates a bandung conference to convey asian leadership upon china and mind you these mind games slowly 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 play on mao uh, mao zedong and khrushchev which contributes to the sino soviet split now the americans want to tell us ki bhai no you have to forget your own interest ukraine is more important than india at what point did ukraine become more important than india to an indian when you say rules based order why aren't you talking about law based order why why is it rules as you will define as and when you define so india actually comes from a very strong position the point is our diplomats have always had a problem understanding history and an inability to articulate Hmm. So, what about the Russian brain drain? Apparently, that is happening. Uh, and also, post Putin, what is the future of Russia? Look, Russia is a country you just can't keep down. A country with that size, with so many mineral resources. The issue here is the world always adjusts to price shocks after a point of time. Hmm. But there have been individual shocks, like oil shock. okay mm. or the semiconductor shock because china is playing uh, hard to get with semiconductors mm-hmm. this one is going to be an across the board shock because russia is a major producer of every single mineral on earth every single mineral on earth there is not one mineral where russia would be the top 5 to 10 producers okay this is going to be a cross system shock it is one of the biggest fertilizer producers so you're going to see a multi year shock on food prices the oil price hike remember the emiratis have said right now the price of oil has gone down from 130 140 per barrel to 108 based on uae statements it's a speculative drop it isn't an actual drop because the uae hasn't actually done anything to increase production the saudis have refused to even comment on increasing production if venezuela which is probably the biggest reserves of oil has to restart production remember all the oil companies in venezuela were american owned 
they all shut down their plants and left. They are now obsolete and damaged. It will take two, three, four years to recapitalize those oil fields before the oil starts flowing. Mm. This now dovetails perfectly. And this is one of the things where the Republicans and Democrats agree. Why do they agree all of a sudden, despite all the differences, that Russian oil should be banned? Mm. For the Republicans, it's so that they can start off fracking again. Absolutely. For the Democrats, it's so that everybody moves to electric cars. But here's the problem again. How long is it going to take to restart fracking? It's going to take years and years and years because you put them out of business. Mm-hmm. <coughs> now the entire ecosystem has to be rebuilt again for fracking. How many cars can Tesla produce so that the entire the whole of America can move towards uh, electric? And remember a large part because American cities contribute to this dilemma because American cities are all car optimized. They're commute car optimized. Mm. You cannot live in America without a car. Heck, even Elon Musk market, tweeted that we need to start getting our own oil when he is opposed yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, and remember, a lot of the cars, especially for all your lower, cheaper labor workforce, they do not buy new cars. There's a huge secondhand car market in America. Most of American cars would be secondhand cars. The students, the workers, the poor laborers and all buy, all buy these cheap cars because they all live very far away from the industry that they work in or the hotel or whatever services or industry they work in. How are they all going to shift to electric cars? Got it. So even the Got look, it. American cities are unsustainable. But in this case, it's it's uh, the Democrats seem to be on much more of a methamphetamine high than the Republicans are. Yeah, the Dems have a death wish. Uh, just one last question, because somebody has asked it, and even I'm confused. Like, why do they hate Russians so much? Ethnic Russians is like, I mean. I mean, the whole media was like blue-eyed people, white, whatever racist threadic nikla tha. I mean, if white is the criteria, I mean, Russians are also pretty white. I have never Serb- understood this. Serbians are also very white. Yeah, matlab, Remember, nahi, it is not this, about white skin, na? Then this is the power of the Western narrative and control on the global narrative. Okay. When they want you to believe in race science, where the white man, as Rudyard Kipling says, the white man's burden, the world will believe it. When they decide race science is evil, they will demolish it. When they decide that Serbians are mass murderers, but uh, Bosniaks and Kosovars are not, you will believe it. Understand this is the same power that will be unleashed on you one day. You are not seeing it. But what, what are the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal and all those people building up to? They're building up to that exact point. And mind you, even same people like Daniel Markey and people like that are writing bullshit now. Hmm. Yeah, I just think people in the West, especially the mainstream media, to has seems to have lost their shit. Like uh, Dostoevsky, ko padayenge, Milan mein, uh, Russian, R- Russian, R- cats, R- Russian cats, Russian dogs. The Russian tea room has had to shut down the New York's most yeah. iconic restaurant. Abhi kya Russian salad nahi and, haan, and, and, and well, that's not new because remember when we, uh, Jacques Chirac said he was going to veto uh, uh, in 2003 that he was going to veto America's invasion of Iraq. Uh, they renamed French fries as Freedom Fries. And the, uh, uh, the French foreign ministry put out a very, mein Twitter nahi hota tha, they put out a very glib statement saying uh, French fries were invented in Belgium, not in France. Uh, 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 and remember, worst of all, 
Facebook and Instagram, their parent company Meta, will now allow users to call for ethnic pogroms and the killing of Russians. Not just the Russian government, but the killing or discrimination against Russians. That wo, wo article ki wording thodi change hui thi na Abhijit baad mein. Kuch to change hua tha usme. I, I don't. Thoda remember. change hua tha, but read the original this thing. Okay. They realized what a mistake they had made, and they're trying to now backtrack. I just find it so stupid. This is like you know the Pakistani side where sometimes they have to acknowledge some of their Hindu past. They'll be like, this person Patanjali was from Pakistan, and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 also also remember these were the same people, you know the German army after the Second World War. What was it? Were the aliens from outer space who dropped uh, uh, into Germany after 1945? No, I want you to go to a YouTube channel called Mark Felton Productions, and you check out this thing called the post-war German army. It was entirely staffed by Nazis. The CDU is the Rump Nazi Party. Angela Merkel's party is the Rump Nazi party. Somewhere between, I've forgotten the exact number, 40 to 60% of Germany's parliament that got elected after the first parliament, after uh, 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 the fall of Nazi Germany, had been former members of the Nazi party. Mm. Okay. Uh, uh, the Americans embraced the Nazis after that. So they, they want you to believe certain things. Never fall for that. Look, I have a great admiration and respect for the West, but I never fall for their bullshit. So mm. people call me a Western stooge and an American spy and whatnot and Lockheed Martin Kadalla or Boeing Kadalla depends on the time of the day. Never fall yeah. for their bullshit. Accept that you, you can accept that they are great and they've achieved a lot more than any other civilization on Earth. But don't fall for their bullshit. I agree with you. Like, I, this is what I was trying to say some time ago too. Like, I'm a pretty much a Pax Americana guy, but the way the West has behaved, like, and, and if somebody, you know, came up and said, you know, okay, now they're doing this with Russia, um, you know, what if they do the same thing with India? And that kind of a fear is absolutely justified to, you know, key, you know, you know. I don't know. Let's see what happens with India too. But okay, so a lot of people, Abhijit, have been requesting. Now, so now, this is why, Kushal, you need to understand when I keep spitting on DRDO or the government's defense reforms, which end up achieve nothing. You understand where my sense of urgency in all of this comes from. Mm -hmm. Why do I get so agitated? Because every day you lose is a day you are never going to get back. And if they put their mind to it, it will take them exactly all of 50 seconds to start a civil war in India. Hmm. Oh, yeah, agreed. So, Abhijit, a lot of people have been asking. I don't know. I leave it to you. If you want to, you will do we it. Can, we can uh, do a separate Q&A. Next week, if you want, we can do a full Q&A. Yeah, yeah. So, so not only that, a lot of people have asked me, file can they use it to read again? So can you create a PDF link for people to use it if they want to? I'll, 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 I'll send you a Word uh, document uh, okay. to Sabi because it's all sourced off the internet anyway. I didn't know. What things. I'll do is, so so here's what I'll do, guys, uh, as Abhijit uh, has agreed. So what I'll do is 
I will convert this file into a PDF and I'll create a PDF link and I'll add that link to the description of the podcast. You guys can download the link. You can use the file and you can uh, watch it all the time. Look, I've tried to ask as many questions as possible. There is a time limit. So I'm going to wrap it up today. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we'll do a follow-up discussion also. And uh, I'm going <coughs> to maybe try bring other perspectives also because, uh, I mean, in fact, that is something Abhijit has only told me. Don't just get his perspective, get other perspectives too. He always says that to me. So we'll wrap today's discussion. This is a lot of information. So I, I know you guys might have to watch it again, but this will go in the audio version, which is why what I'll do is I'll take the Word file, convert it into PDF and you know, people on the audio version can also see this. And to everybody who's asked the questions, you know, the questions today were brilliant. Thank you very much for the support. And Abhijit, thank you very much. This was uh, this was a lot of learning for me too. So as always, buddy, thanks for coming. Live long and prosper. All right, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. Uh, please subscribe to the Charvak podcast. Go and follow Abhijit on Twitter and, uh, you know, like the video, leave your comments below and also become, you know, a YouTube member or a patron subscriber or, you know, buy the Charvak podcast merch or send your donations through UPI. I will see you next week. Until then, and take care. Bye. The, the, closing, the closing music of this is going to be the Soviet national anthem. Sayus ne rushi mi respublics fabodnik spatila navie kivili kaya rus das traf suyet sos da nevoli naroda pedini maguchi sovietski sayus slav satye chestva nashe svabodnoye trujbi naroda vzayuzni oplot Partia Lenina, Sila Narodnaya, Naskatrestvu Kamunizma Vediot. Thank you.